Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Hello, my beautiful people. We are back. We are back. Our first episode of 2021. I know you were all waiting to start your year until we launched for 2021. I know the anticipation is over. I am so incredibly excited to be back here with you guys. And we have some amazing, amazing episodes coming week after week, starting with the first one who I am so excited to introduce you guys to. So this week, I had the honor of sitting down with Rushi Roy. Rushi is the co-founder and CEO of Avrani, a skincare line that unites India's all-natural approach with clinically proven science. As a first-generation Indian-American, Rushi would often make her skincare with her mom, who showed Rushi how to harness the power of raw ingredients like turmeric and sweet almond oil to maintain beautiful skin. As an adult searching for an easier way to access such ancient Indian rituals, Rushi was inspired to create her own brand. Before launching the Avrani brand in 2020, Rushi worked in finance at a couple household names, including Goldman Sachs. This all changed when she began her MBA program at Wharton, no big deal, in 2019, where she met her future co-founder and would bring Avrani to life. She is a 2020 Forbes 30 under 30 honoree in the retail and e-commerce category. She is also just an incredibly kind human who will make you feel so at ease and comforted while you take in all of the wisdom she has to share, which is a lot. As always, meet us in the comment section after the episode. Tell us what you think and give Rushi some love. Now, let's get over to my conversation with Rushi. Welcome to the podcast. I am so incredibly honored and excited truly to have you. I've been researching you for a while now, getting ready for this podcast, and I am so incredibly impressed by you, and I love your story, so I can't wait to chat and hear more. Oh, thank you, Jenna. That's a real honor. I appreciate that, and I'm excited to chat with you, too. Okay, so you have this incredible skincare brand of Ronnie, and I love the whole story of how you started and it going back to your Indian American roots, having two different beautiful cultures that you're experiencing. How would you say that your upbringing influenced what would eventually become a Rani? Yeah. So it's funny you say that. I don't think at the time, of course, growing up that I appreciated 
my culture whatsoever. If anything, it kind of felt like something that was very compartmentalized in my life. So the area I grew up in, in Detroit, was predominantly Caucasian. And so while we had a very tight-knit Bengali community, my school, my activities, all that sort of stuff, I was the only Indian girl or the one of very few people of color. And so I had always kind of isolated the two parts of my life growing up. And it really wasn't until I got older and then, of course, started thinking about my own career and my own passion, I got this newfound appreciation for the upbringing and for the understanding that I grew up with, navigating the clean ingredients, general holistic approach that is so inherent to the Indian culture. These things that I took for granted only started coming up in my life later really when I met my co-founder. So it was when I decided to leave my career in finance and pursue business school for search of what I really wanted to do with my life that I met him in business school. And he was telling me about his experience growing and scaling another skincare brand through the lens of private equity. And that brand was Tatcha. It's a Japanese-inspired brand. And that founder brought these ancient rituals of Japan to the U.S. in this modern luxury format. And all I could think about as he was telling me that story were all these ingredients and customs that are so sacred to our culture. I mean, beyond just personal care, but it's a part of our wedding ceremonies and our religious rituals. And he was so fascinated. He's like, so you really can't just buy these turmeric masks at the store? And I was like, no, but that was the first time that it occurred to me even that this was something really special that was even worth exploring. So to answer your question, I think it's easy for me to say in retrospect that you know, I had this really fortunate upbringing because at the time it really didn't feel like that because you know, all you want to do is fit in. True. Yes. When you're young, it's like, All you want to do is be like everyone else, even though you have these incredible rituals. I love the rituals you talk about with your grandmother and brushing your hair. And that is so special. But when you're young, it's like you want to fit in and have the same like lunch as everyone coming, you know? Exactly. And and just to, to help you visualize it, it's like it's all about framing in terms of these rituals, right? So at the time, because it wasn't something that I appreciated, it was messy. It was sticky. It was not luxurious. It wasn't how the U.S. at least defines beauty, right? It didn't feel like it fit under the lens of beauty. And so it's really about your own narrative that you put on yourself and the way that you view things too, that really can help shape how you define it. Yes, I love that. So you were in finance and you have this very impressive resume, but did you think one day I will do my own thing and start my own company? So actually, yes. Um, My whole life, I've been extremely entrepreneurial and just generally enterprising. I've always wanted to work for myself and build my own thing. But then at the same time, I would talk myself down and be like, all right, Rushi, be practical about this. You don't know what you're doing. You have to get a certain amount of skill sets and a certain amount of experience before you're ready to do something. And it was 
one of those things where I always had in the back of my mind, like once I'm ready, I'll start that thing. But in the meantime, I need to still be in learning mode. And I think that's one of the biggest sort of fallacies as it relates to entrepreneurship, because really you are learning as you go every single day and that never stops. And the idea that you're going to have it all together before you're ready to take the leap is completely bogus. And an idea that I'm like constantly reminding people of because I'm still going through it myself. I cannot (laughs) wait more. (laughs) I always go back to this quote, the essence of it is don't wait until you're ready because you will never feel ready. Mm -hmm. And exactly. And you have to keep showing up until you're ready. And so the sort of imposter syndrome or the feeling like, you know, you're not enough. That's a normal thing that you need to kind of combat internally and that everybody goes through. That's the other thing too, right? Sometimes we feel like we're the only frauds in the world and it's like everybody's trying to push towards something. Nobody has it figured out. Yes, that is absolutely so true. (laughs) So when did you decide that it was skincare? Like, did you have this aha moment and you knew this was it? Yeah, so interestingly, like, I don't actually think of myself as typical beauty brand founder. I'm like, I'm not wearing any makeup right now. And honestly, it's because I'm not that good at applying makeup and using makeup. And I've been like that my whole life. I use like five products every day as my look. I just never really felt like I fit into that world of beauty as it was defined at the time or to like still in many ways. So skincare was the focus, not just because is so aligned with the Indian rituals, but because it is a part of wellness and beauty. And that's the gap that I'm trying to bridge with Avrani. I think there's a misunderstanding that beauty is not wellness. We tend to think about beauty as this like ancillary thing on the side that has to do with vanity and maybe a little selfish sometimes. But really, beauty is a part of, you know, taking care of yourself. Getting the right amount of sleep is just as much an investment in beauty, right? And that's the kind of narrative that I want to help people understand because that's the exact approach we take in India. Uh, Even what you eat is a part of beauty, right? And so uh, trying to bridge that gap and helping people understand that beauty is not selfish, taking care of yourself is a part of what makes you glow from the inside out. You can buy so much product and slather it on, but you're never going to feel beautiful until you've got it right on the inside. So that's a big part of why skincare and why, you know, I want to expand eventually into hair care, body care, but color cosmetics just doesn't feel in line with that message that I'm trying to share with the mission of Avrani. And so that's how I see the business moving ahead too. I love it. And you are full glowing. You're like, I have no makeup on. I can oh, see thank you. Right you're so sweet. I'm able to see you right now, but you full are glowing. Your skin is incredible. Thank you. And I love how a lot of the ingredients are things that you would typically, you could eat. It's like this whole organic beautiful line where you could find all of these things for the most part in your kitchen. Yes. And, and that is the, the crux of Indian inspired beauty, that holistic 360 approach. What I put in my body is just as important what I put on my body. And that's why you're never going to find ingredients that are not a part of some sort of South Asian cuisine too. It's all integrated and aligned. And yeah, that's an important thing to remember as we think about 
all the products that we use, not just beauty, but household cleaning products and, and whatnot, where it, everything is very saturated with preservatives and chemicals and toxins, all for the sake of mass production. But starting with beauty, which I feel like is one of the most behind in sort of getting updated in education around products and ingredients, I feel like I can make a huge impact by introducing the Indian approach. So you went to Wharton Business School. Did you know at the time you wanted to do? No, so I I went with the hopes of figuring that out. And ironically, when I got there, I found that a lot of people sort of knew what industry they wanted to pivot into and had a very clear purpose for business school. But when I met my co-founder, I hadn't thought of the idea of starting something right away. Again, I was in that mode of, I need to get the right experience. I actually went in thinking, perhaps looking into early stage investing to get even closer to entrepreneurs to figure out, you know, how did they do it? When were they ready? And so it's funny because I never would have imagined starting something in school, but it was the best thing because it enabled me to have that sort of overhead of the MBA and give me that comfort, which at the time, you know, I was still very risk averse. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, what if I fail? What will people think of me? So I had it in the back of my head where if it doesn't work out in school, or if this thing, you know, flops, at least I tried and I can go back to another job in finance or something, take this time to really explore it. And that was really one of the best things that I did by not waiting. That is such a good point too, is just with all of the anxiety of starting a business, it's usually the feeling of what will people think? What will this look like? And it's so based on outside of us rather than how amazing would I feel? Like, how could I live out my passions and all of these internal desires we can put aside because it's terrifying. And I'll be honest with you, like I still deal with that day to day. It's obviously gone down over time and the hope is it's going to keep going down, but I don't think that will ever go away. If anything, I think we should always be kind of a little bit in the fear zone, right? Because as soon as we're super comfortable, at least for me personally, I get complacent and I get in a sense of autopilot and I stop, you know, thinking originally, I stop being creative. And it was kind of where I was getting into in in my own headspace with finance. And so now I would say if you're not you know, fearing what you're doing or, you know, a little bit uncomfortable with it, then you're not thinking big enough, right? And so we should feel validated by our fear a lot more than we do because that's how we know we're onto something. Right. We're hitting that next growth spurt. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you meet your co-founder in college. He had kind of done a similar business model before. All of these ideas I'm sure are coming up and you're bouncing off of each other. When did you guys decide, okay, let's do this. Let's go all in together and start this. Just a couple weeks after we met. And so just to be clear, it was not college, but business school. So grad school. I wish I started something in college, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> after we met uh, Justin and I, which by the way, we could not be more different. He's a white Jewish guy from Long Island and also just extremely extroverted and gregarious and just like life of the party. Whereas I am much more introverted. I am reserved. And he brought out this excitement in me, even from that conversation that made me believe that, okay, I kind of have everything in place now. Like 
we can transfer our business school tuition into a joint savings account and actually bootstrap this thing for a bit. I have the overhang of business school to feel safe and like I have the resources around me. I have a partner who wants to do this with me and is excited about it. At this point, if I don't try this, then I'm just not taking a bet on myself, right? That's the only thing that's in my own way. And as I thought about that, you know, because of course, as we just talked about, it was really, really scary to think, of doing all that, we were spending time like texting, emailing ideas, names, products, all that, like nonstop for a couple of weeks. And in the back of my mind, I'm just like, is this real? Like, could I actually do this? And I thought, okay, if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. I'm always going to look back and wonder like what would have happened if I tried it. And that's almost the bigger thing to avoid in life, right, than failing is that sense of regret. That would have, you know, eaten me alive. And I think that that was an important point of self-awareness that I wouldn't have had, you know, earlier in my life. I love that. So I do masterminds with women. And this is actually one of the exercises I do because I found the same thing for myself of we're so focused on what if this goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? But reframing, like you were also mentioning not what do I have to lose if I do it, but what do I have to lose if I don't do it? And starting to think of all of those, oh my gosh, I would regret it forever. I'd watch someone else do it and realize that could have been me. Yes, that's powerful. A hundred percent. And that's the only type of comparing that I think is important. Like in the context of not what will people think of me, but like, what if someone else goes out and does this thing like that? Exactly. To your point, like that would have killed me. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So at this point, you're bootstrapping. This is all your own money, correct? How do you go to, okay, let's raise money. How was that process for you? By the way, to be clear, like when we decided to start with our own money and go, like I still didn't really know what I was doing. The very first thing I did was Google U.S skincare manufacturers. Like that's where I started for people when they think about like, okay, do I need the right experience or the right exposure to start? You should again, reframe that into what are my skills and what can I identify as my strengths and build around that, get the outsource around that, build talent around that. I think we also get in a pattern of thinking, oh, I don't have this enough or that enough. And the thing about entrepreneurship is your sort of inkling and drive to do it is enough. And you obviously have some skills, something to bring to the table, right? And you can always complement around that. And so, yeah, but to your question of how did we start around raising money, the bootstrapping got us through the first production order, which was what we launched with our beta site in June of 2018. So that summer between business school, instead of pursuing an internship like you typically do in the MBA, Justin and I stayed in Philly, got some undergrad pen interns and launched Avrani.com, the first version of that. And as that sort of took off, which is when the real work started for all intents and purposes, we realized that, okay, in order to get the next production order, we're going to need to start raising money. And that was a whole experience in and of itself. I think understanding when we needed to do it was important because I 
personally believe you should bootstrap as long as possible so that you can, you know, have the freedom to make your mistakes and figure something out before bringing on other people. But it's really hard. I mean, especially early on when you still have the prospect of growth, but at the time it's like, okay, what does two weeks of sales mean for anyone? Like that's when we started fundraising that summer. That was when I realized like, it's really about you and your story that they're going to bet on, not the market or the opportunity. Like obviously at the highest level, it has to be something interesting, but that fundraising process also helped me understand even what I was doing in context of the macro environment and the beauty industry globally. And it helped me reframe through the period of pre-seed fundraising, which was in 2019, that I needed to recreate the brand itself. And that's where the impetus for rebranding started and what you see on Navrani.com today. It looks nothing like the first version. Here, I can actually show you. I keep this at my desk so I never forget where we were at. Oh my God. But how hideous is this? I realized like, you know, beauty, it's so saturated. It's so competitive. There are new products coming out every day. If your brand doesn't touch people intimately, emotionally on a personal level, then it doesn't do anything. It's just like everything else. And so fundraising, I guess, was the real inspiration behind you know, kind of looking inward and getting on that self-discovery journey to figure out what kind of brand is an accurate interpretation of me and embodies me in an authentic way. So that's a very long answer to your fundraising question, but it really does like, you know, shock you into place in terms of many different aspects of the company. No, it's an amazing answer. And I think that is something you rarely hear is it's just be yourself and you will hopefully attract the right investors for you that are in line with your actual story. And that will play better in the long run anyway, because if you front to be something you're not and some beauty company you're not, you will attract someone who doesn't even understand what you're trying to do. Exactly, exactly. And I don't know about you, but like the idea of be yourself, it's so unsatisfying. It's like this simplest piece of advice and the kind of thing we grow up hearing and seeing everywhere, right? And as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize like these very simple and what I thought were kind of like elementary pieces of guidance are actually quite profound. And the basis for really, you know, finding joy and happiness in life is truly being yourself. Yes. So something that I hear a lot is, oh, I really want to build a company or I want to be an entrepreneur, but I'm too shy or I would never be able to go and talk in front of people. Like that's just not me. And I read a little bit about your story and correct me if I'm wrong, that you did grow up a little more shy and introverted. Yes. And I still am. Is there ever a point where it is you being yourself, but that you kind of need to step out of your natural instincts or your comfort zone to be able to really you know, get to where you need to go or lead a meeting or... Yes. And I struggle with that balance a lot because of course I need to be myself, but also grow as an individual and as a professional. And I realize that there are authentic ways to do that and inauthentic ways to do that. I think knowing when and where I'm comfortable, like for example, here talking to you one-on-one, I'm very comfortable and you probably 
wouldn't have thought that I'm still very shy and introverted from this conversation, but bring two more people here and I am a very different person. And it amplifies the larger the audience. Like when I think about even getting on Instagram stories, I imagine the number of people and it makes me so nervous and it, it makes it difficult for me to just relax and, and be myself. But I think the authenticity with which you go about that growth is the most important thing to think about. And an example of where I was inauthentic in the beginning was when I was trying to be like these other beauty founders who, you know, are so perfect on camera, you know, applying mascara perfectly alongside a hip hop beat. It's like, how do you do that? Like, I don't look like that, you know, getting ready. And still to this day, I struggle to film myself getting ready because the idea of the camera there just like makes me clam up. And so it made me realize like, okay, stop trying to push yourself to be just like what these other founders did to be successful. Because at the end of the day, if I'm trying to emulate someone else, at best, I'm going to be second best to them, right? Because nobody's going to be better at being them than they are, right? And that's when I had to realize like, okay, so I have to now anchor my days and my work around what my best looks like. And that's a journey that you're constantly on. Like I surprise myself all the time with the things I can, can't do, but that's as a result of putting myself out there and trying. So I think it's just a matter of constant curiosity and seeking out that growth and then just pivoting along the way, because I wouldn't have realized how inauthentic I was being unless I was trying to copy other people, for example. Right. Yeah, that is so true. So when I was looking at your Instagram and something that really sparked my excitement or curiosity is how community-based your brand is. Like you feature so many women who are actually your customers and not necessarily just influencers we've all seen, but truly your community is based, it seems, on your customers. And Am I right that you give out your cell phone number? Yes, I have. And I do. And it's my cell phone number. I even have my my calendar public. Anybody can book a time to connect with me. And I love connecting with people through that platform. Yeah, I'm very open about that. Sorry, I missed your question around community. No, I, there was more just a comment that I thought was amazing. And I was wondering, how did you have these instincts? I haven't heard of a lot of founders that have done this, but I love it. And I think it's such a beautiful way of not just building a brand, but really building this community. So how did yeah. you thinking like that? I I think you're you're actually giving me a little too much credit when you're saying like, how did you have the instincts? Because truthfully, when it comes to representation and what we see out there, even from the days I first started the Instagram in 2018, there were very few people that looked like me that I could, you know, Google image search and put onto the social. And I mean, I knew that my whole life and that was also always something that I knew I was going to navigate. But then as the business sort of demanded, like, okay, I need to showcase, you know, real people and real reviews. Okay, like, let me start using our real customers. And oh, wait a minute, they're actually also being able to represent the culture and who I am and who I'm trying to speak to in the most authentic way. It all kind of fell into place in that way. So I didn't necessarily predict that that was the direction I was going to go in, but it's been the most beautiful 
fortunate opportunity for me to see this come to light with the brand because I personally needed something like this as a girl growing up to see. And so I try to remind myself of that as we think about the way we showcase women and, and whatnot, because it's really important for me to stay as authentic as possible for that younger version of myself that I know is out there. When you are creating, do you think about that girl a lot? Oh, all the time. I try to put myself, like, as we think about the aesthetic of the brand, you'll see a lot of pops of color and modern art and the whole thing. It's really like I get into a headspace of my inner child and the girl I was growing up. And that is a manifestation of what she wanted. And so I'm constantly trying to tap back into that because that's also where the most uninhibited and the most like ourselves and careless about our peers and what other people think about us. And so I'm always trying to get back to that childlike headspace. And I encourage people to do that themselves too. We get a little bit, you know, we start taking ourselves a little too seriously as we get older. It's so true. And that sweet spot, that passion, it will always bring you back to your core, I think, and start to think from a place of actual growth of how do I want to be aligned with why I started in the first place. And Yeah, that's really cool. So being a founder is obviously incredibly taxing and it can have just a lot that comes with it. How have you found that you've been able to stay centered and just with all of the workload that always I'm sure increases, just staying in your power and feeling good about yourself, good about your day? That's a good question. And Again, one that I think that I don't think I'll ever have figured out completely. And I think every time we hit a milestone or an inflection point with the business, it sort of demands a newer, improved version of myself. And the idea of staying centered is so important to me because I know or I'm trying to be more conscious of the things that get me off my center and sort of disrupt that. I think one has been just trying to find a lot more harmony with the parts of the business that I love working on and the parts that, you know, I just know I need to do <laughs> as part of this role and keeping that at 60-40 at best. I mean, at least 60% of my time and mind share is spent on the things I love doing. So more than half of my time, that is what excites me and then motivates me to get that other 40% done, like the, the boring stuff or the admin-like stuff that doesn't wake me up every day. As soon as that sort of gets off balance and I'm doing more of the stuff I don't want to do, I start start to get in that spiral and I'm starting to journal more to recognize those patterns because I can tell like, oh, that was during a time where you know, we had this big setback with production or when we were having this difficulty with this employee or something like that. I think it's really, really important to constantly be observing yourself as almost like an external person, you know, like giving you feedback because that's the most raw and truthful version of the feedback, right? And a lot of times we get so caught up in our day-to-day that it gets very comfortable hiding from our own sort of insecurities or things that we know we need to improve on, but sort of busy ourselves with to avoid that. Leaning into that sort of self-improvement as a commitment is the most different about me today than 
who I was when I first started the business. I never anticipated that being something that would be demanded of me to make this grow and hopefully be very successful one day. I see that as like one of my top priorities now to make sure my mindset is calm and clear before I do anything else. Yes, that's so good. So you guys are, I'm sure, always brainstorming new products. You're always coming up with what you want to do next. What is your process of product launches and brainstorming new ideas for products? Do you have like Pinterest? Yeah. Um, okay. So to start, there are a lot of ingredients out there, especially native to South Asia that have not been popularized here. And so Two important things I think about as we initiate any sort of product development launch or like beginning of that part is that I want to maintain that cultural root and make sure that I'm still bringing something that is rooted in my heritage and the tradition as it's like true to the Avrani mission. But then also not just putting product out for the sake of putting product out. Like I want it to be the best and differentiated relative to all beauty products out there, not just this new Indian-like thing. So ingredients we're working with right now, sandalwood, saffron, hibiscus, rose water, bok choy oil, or I always say this wrong, bakuchi oil, <laughs> which is a plant derivative, a natural alternative to retinol, as an example, that's native no. to India. And so there are so many ingredients to keep exploring and bringing here that I'm just trying to make sure that we are staying committed to the level of excellence with the product itself from an objective point of view, but also making sure it is creative and different and embodies the brand. So it's it's something that I think about almost every single day. And we have like an ongoing like Google Doc of ideas and benchmarks and stuff we like, stuff we really didn't like, because our team is constantly testing stuff. But that is one of my sort of primary focuses as the CEO and something I want to hold on to is the idea of new product development going forward. Love it. So I'm sure your the women in your family are probably so proud of you and especially keeping all of these rituals alive. How do they respond to you starting this? They, I mean, they love it. I think that it's interesting because in the beginning, and like I said with myself, like I didn't necessarily appreciate these rituals and ingredients. I'm not sure if others appreciated the fact that there might be a company that brings them to life in a shelf stable format, right? Because there's a little bit of that community element that comes with making them and, and using them and understanding these ingredients that is lost when, you know, you translate it into something you can buy from the store. So um, it was really important to me to stay as authentic as possible to the actual rituals themselves. So for example, the glow activating exfoliator with the turmeric, honey, and neem, those were the exact ingredients that we used growing up. And of course that was mixed with other things like milk, chickpea flour, egg white, but I wanted to stay as true as possible to those and then have it be in the store in a way that you know, you could celebrate and be like, oh my gosh, that's what we would use. Like I, I wanted people to feel like they were seen and celebrated in a way we've really never experienced before. And I think it was an amazing experience to see people's reactions in the beginning, especially because 
this is a brand new kind of concept that you know we haven't really seen in the US. Um, it was really, really nice to be able to almost speak to my community in the US, people I've never you know, met or, or spoken to one-on-one -on -one in a way that was like, hey, I see you, I, we're not so different and you are enough and I do wanna celebrate you in beauty. It's almost like when you grow up never seeing that kind of stuff, you don't even know you're missing it. So it was a really nice experience, even from with the social media, starting that and seeing the way that it resonated with people. That's so special. And I also love how normally with a beauty brand, you associate it to like, oh, that girl is so beautiful. I'll never look like her. Or we're looking and comparing where yes. your community gets to look at what you're building and what you're putting out there and say, oh, I'm so enough. And I actually am seen and recognized and there are people who look like me that are absolutely beautiful and being celebrated in this the mass market well I guess not the mass market but in a product eventually <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> I guess mass has this negative connotation but no it's yeah it is the mass market which that's so beautiful and do you get messages like that I'm sure of just oh all the time and and those are the things that are like oh my gosh, like, this is why I'm doing this. And it's funny, because they always come at a time where I'm just like, Oh, I'm not feeling myself today. Or like, what's the point of doing this one thing? I get so many messages on, on my Instagram, on email, on all over just saying like, thanks for making this thing. And there's nothing like that, knowing that you can have an impact on someone else's life. That's the reason why I'm doing this. That's so incredible. So as far as your sweet spot, your like superpower in the company, what is your favorite thing to do? What's the thing that lights you up the most of your work? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> what lights me up the most? I guess I would have to say introducing these products. I mean, I guess it's the idea of how it works with the business makes it so that we can't be doing it constantly, but the product development and the thought of modernizing something that's so sacred to my culture and my history in a way that creatively is an expression of myself is, is extremely special and something that I'm always thinking about, not just from a product development standpoint, but from a branding standpoint as well. How do I want the thing to grow? And it really is not just about Avrani. It's about creating a brand new category in the global beauty industry, which is iBeauty or Indian inspired beauty. You know, we've seen the growth of K-beauty and J-beauty over the last five to 10 years. And I would be so, so thrilled to be able to have iBeauty be a new category that the whole world is sort of tuned into and is finally out there because this has been something that's been brewing in South Asia for centuries. You know, women have been doing this for generations, passing down these ingredients and these formulas. And to be able to share that with the world and have non-Indian women love it and rave about it is, it makes it feel like it's coming full circle, you know? And in this thing that I, I never really felt a part of, now suddenly I'm disrupting. That's the thing that excites me every day. Yes. And you are doing it. It's being recognized. You just got Forbes 30 under 30, right? 2020. Yes. Thank you. Incredible. How did that feel when you were recognized for, for building this really important mission? 
it was surreal. And, and to be honest with you, like the sort of excitement from being honored in that way was overwhelmed with a little more fear or even more fear than I had before is what I mean in the sense of, oh my gosh, now I have to live up to this thing. And now the expectations are that much higher and the stakes are that much bigger. It was overwhelming, but now I'm in a place where I could not be more, you know, grateful for that because it really shifted even the way I think about this of, you know, this is so much bigger than me and my story. It's something that I'm doing for my community and our culture. And it, that was one of the first things that got me to sort of wake up to that notion of this isn't just about you and, you know, this little company you're trying to grow, you're trying to make something much more meaningful and out there for the world. I think that's such good advice. And that is also such an easy way to get in back into your power. I think in my life, the times where I have felt the most anxious imposter syndrome is when I'm focusing on myself. And I'm like, yes. oh, can I yes. do this? No, I can't do this. I'm crazy too. Why did I agree to this? But if I go past that and zoom out and think, why am I doing this and go back to mission, I will always get over myself, honestly, and be able 100%, to- 100%, 100%. And then the, the other important part is to remember is like, you don't have to be the best at every little thing to be the one who shifts the culture or does something disruptive. You just have to be the one who has that courage to do it because that's the thing that's a lot more rare than this faux expertise or notion of expertise. At the end of the day, you know, this isn't rocket science, right? We're creating a beauty product. There's still a lot of things that follow protocol, right? And you just have to be the one who wants it the most to make it happen. You don't even have to be the smartest, the prettiest, the most well-rounded, you know, any of those things. And that is something, again, I'm reminding myself of all the time, but it's really easy to forget when you're in your own head and you're just thinking about yourself, as you said. It really is. And I think especially with social media, this generation is just... <laughs> they have it so hard, like not they, us, but I didn't have Instagram in high school. I don't even yeah, know what we like, you know, and I think it's just this constant battle for all of us to go against the feeling of, oh, this person is so good at everything. I see it in front of my face, like once a week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, and that's a big reason why, um, I personally want to open up even more on the Instagram because I'm tired of seeing just like the best parts of every other business and every other company. Obviously, you know, our social media channels and everything we do at the end of the day are trying to get the word out and bring awareness. So I'm always conscious of putting us in the best light. But then at the same time, it's a lot more interesting to see the reality of the situation and speak about it in a lot more authentic of a way when you have all these other people and all these other brands just showcasing highlight and best up. And then we get very shocked when like something happens behind the scenes or something has been brewing for years. And it's just like, you know, this, this whole thing is a facade. We're all just trying to put our highlights out there and trying to act like tough and perfect and we're not. And so I want to hold myself more accountable to show that a little bit more because I kind of need to be reminded of that. Like 
stop comparing yourself to the growth of all these other brands and all these other people. Like everyone is on their own journey. And as cheesy as that sounds, it's like there's really race here. No, it's not cheesy. I think that is such a good reminder that it doesn't matter how many times we hear it, just constantly practicing that is crucial to be able to keep moving forward. So on that note, there are a lot of girls who I'm sure already look up to you, but a lot of girls in general who really want to start their own business to, you know, see themselves represented, to be able to maybe be the first in their family to ever do this. What advice do you have for, I know it's a loaded question, but what would be like the one thing that sticks out to you if you could give five minutes of your time? Wow. When you phrase it like that, that's a big <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> I think it's a few things. I think one is just to relax. Like, I think that when we're younger, and again, I'm still dealing with this, there's this like pressure of doing everything very quickly or having things figured out. And I'm learning to lean out and trust the process a little bit more. Uh, I think that that's the most important thing is that, you know, you are trusting yourself and the process. And I'll share one of my favorite pieces of wisdom that I try to remember when I'm even thinking about this today in new endeavors. It's let me fall if I must fall. The one who I will become will catch me. And I would have loved to hear that as a little kid because I feel like, you know, if I don't have everything figured out right now, then why would I just put myself out there and fail for no reason? And then, you know, like we imagine that worst case scenario, but we forget that at the end of that failure, our minds are different. We're in a different place that we can't imagine in this exact moment, right? And so why aren't we giving ourselves that credit of learning from that? Like looking back, we're like, oh, I learned so much from that or that failure was a blessing, But we never do that looking ahead, obviously, because it's much harder to do. But if I had been able to reframe that a little bit more in my own head as a kid, I think I would have been a little easier on myself in terms of, you know, fitting in and and thinking about what my peers are doing. But yeah, that's the advice I would share. And honestly, one I'm still trying to take in myself. (laughs) I was just thinking, I can't wait to rewatch this and write that down because that was... Um, so wise. And I'm so inspired by you and hearing your story and all of your bits of wisdom. So I just want to close out first, I want to just say thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure this will inspire so many women. Thank you. No, this was really an honor to be here. Thank you. And second, where can everyone find you? Yes. So at Avrani, A-A-V-R-A-N-I is our Instagram handle. So please follow us and you can find us at Avrani.com is where we are selling our products exclusively on. We'll be growing. You know, we just started, we launched just a few months ago. So any form of awareness is helpful. If you could, you know, follow us, of course, share with a friend, every little bit of awareness helps. I love it. Yes, I'm going to link all of this in the show notes so everyone will be able to easily click. And thank you. This was such a pleasure. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. 
it is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. And if you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.